0: Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an
1: episode. Hi, my name is Anthony Tassoni. I'm the national vice president of health economics and policy with the Pharmacy Guild. I'm also a pharmacist and I am the Victorian branch president of the Guild.
0: Thank you for your time. Um, The 60 day dispensing policy has been registered now and the first tranche of 92 medicines listed has been released. Can I find out your thoughts?
1: It's extraordinary that the federal government would register the first 92 medicines in the tranche to commence from September the 1st without actually notifying the wholesalers first. So we were all finding out at the same time last Friday that this is what the plan is September 1. And there's been a lot said about medicine shortages, whether the Guild's concerns are valid or not. And the federal government's gone to many lengths to attempt to debunk those concerns, Including seeking advice from the Pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee, which we respect their clinical expertise on cost-benefit analysis of subsidising medicines, but they're not—it's uh, not their remit to um, provide advice on supply chain measures. The National Pharmaceutical Services Association, the NPSA, that represents the wholesalers, put out a statement a little while back, citing uh, concerns they have around medication accessibility with the implementation of this policy and the need to consult with them. And here we are on Friday, the 23rd of June and the first tranche of medicines is published and the wholesalers haven't even been consulted. The key critical part of the supply chain linking up with pharmacies uh, to help manage the implementation of this policy, um, assuming it goes ahead 60 days, as I said, At the the top of the question, it is extraordinary that despite the sensible calls for consultation, this Department of Health and the government persist in uh, ramming through this policy without speaking to the stakeholders that they need and are relying upon for it to be implemented and for patients to receive cheaper medicines.
0: Have there been more discussions with the Department of Health and the government where they've been more open-minded or more willing to listen?
1: So the Guild has met with Minister Butler, the Minister for Health, and we did uh, inform our members of that in the last uh, member webinar that we had. And that was a worthwhile and constructive uh, meeting, and it's good to have that dialogue uh, with the minister and and high levels of government on this issue uh, but i'm not able to go into a running commentary of what was specifically said but uh but it was certainly um a worthwhile meeting and and there have been discussions uh with the minister uh since and high levels of government with regards to uh the implementation of the 60-day policy should it pass um and and come into play
0: so you've, the report has just been released, conducted by the economist Henry Ergus with Tulipwood Advisory and Relational Insights Data Lab with Griffiths University, um, talking about the 60-day dispensing and some of the um, well, some of the considerations that should be mentioned. Did you want to talk a little bit about the report?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this report commissioned by the Guild, but uh, undertaken by Henry Ergus AO, Uh, extremely esteemed economist in Australia, uh, Tulipwood Economics and the Relational Insights Data Lab of the Griffith University um, helped produce a report around the impacts of 60-day dispensing on the community pharmacy sector, but the community at large. And really, this was the homework that the Department of Health should have done in advising and informing the government on this policy proposal and that the government should have considered before announcing it. But they didn't. And the Office of Impact Analysis in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet said themselves as part of their assessment of the Department of Health's own impact uh, assessment uh, on 60-day dispensing was that it wasn't rated as good practice, the Department of Health's report, because it fell short in terms of consultation, particularly with the community pharmacy sector Uh, and small pharmacies and those in rural and regional areas. This report, uh, commissioned by the Guild, but undertaken by Henry Ergas, Tulipwood and Griffith University, is a real wake-up call for the government of the negative impacts of 60-day dispensing if it proceeds as announced without appropriate consultation and further review that it could lead to Uh, At least 200 pharmacies closing, but when you factor in business loan repayments and other things, over 600 pharmacies closing nationwide, over 20,000 jobs being lost in the pharmacy sector, and it's disproportionately affecting rural, regional and remote areas. So whilst this policy will benefit some patients in terms of lower out-of-pocket costs, more will pay and more will pay whether it's reduced trading hours, jobs lost, pharmacy closures and reduced access, and older and more vulnerable patients bearing the brunt of uh, having reduced access to the pharmacies that they uh, have come to rely upon uh, or having to pay more for their services because uh, The Ergas report um, estimated that the impact would be for pharmacies in the region of $160,000 to $180,000 a year, depending what uptake you factored in as an assumption on the 60-day dispensing. And overall, as a a cost-benefit analysis, overall it was less than one. It was less than one when you factored in all the considerations for this policy. It was, you know, less than one. It was in the region of 0.7 six as a cost benefit and anything less than one means it's a net uh, loss to the community. There's a net cost to the community and that's a poor policy outcome and really shouldn't be proceeded with as it stands because what the federal government are wanting to do here is shout the bar, but wants the bar to pay for it. Pharmacies and pharmacists across Australia, we want cheaper medicines for patients. It makes sense. It helps with healthcare access and delivery, but the federal government is asking 6,000 small businesses and local community pharmacies to fund their cost of living measure that they're trumpeting to the country. And it's not feasible. It's not sustainable. It will wreak havoc on the viability of the community pharmacy network. And this report shows that there will be a net cost to the community overall.
0: The government has always been talking about this reinvestment back into pharmacy. They've been talking about things like opioid replacement therapy, rural pharmacy subsidies, vaccinations. Uh, With the proposed suggestions that are coming out from them, these are not going to be making a significant difference. What are your thoughts about the reinvestment suggestions so far that have been placed?
1: The notion of the $1.2 billion that the Commonwealth is saving from reduced dispensing fee remuneration to pharmacies with 60 days being reinvested back into pharmacy, it's a furphy. And, And as George Costanza once said on Seinfeld, it's not a lie if you believe it. So if the government believes it, maybe it's not a lie to them. But in the community pharmacy world, and increasingly when we speak to our patients about it, they understand that this is not a true reinvestment. So using opioid replacement therapy as an example, of the $1.2 billion, $377 million of that is going towards funding the National Opioid Dependence Treatment Program. And, in, and as a concept, it's a great thing for patients. It is reducing their costs and their out-of-pocket expenses to receive really important treatment for um, drug dependency. And this should be celebrated. This should be a great news. Uh, for our healthcare system, that we have a national program uh, like this. We've been calling it for decades. But what is happening with the reinvestment across a number of different areas, and let's talk about opioid dependence treatment as an example, is that the funder is merely being shifted from the patient to the Commonwealth. And in this example, what the Commonwealth is paying pharmacies is less than what the patient was paying themselves. And not only is it less, it's going to be harder for the pharmacies to... Um, claim that remuneration and they're going to get paid later. So we've got a rushed uh, national program that hasn't been consulted on that's coming into being on Saturday the 1st of July and pharmacies are still punch drunk from the news of 60-day dispensing that hasn't been consulted on or, or thought out properly. And here we are trying to rush the implementation of the National Opioid Dependence Treatment Program, paying them less, making it harder for them to get paid and paying them later. And the federal government and Department of Health seem to think that everything will be awesome. This is not the Lego movie. Everything's not awesome. Everything is really a hot mess at the moment with the National Opioid Dependence Treatment Program. In a survey of, Uh, by the Pharmacy Guild of our members, we had over 600 responses um, for pharmacies who provide opioid dependence treatment as a service. And at least 50% of them said that they would not continue with providing this service with the um, implementation of the national program if there were no further changes to its uh, structure, remuneration and approach. And That's extremely alarming. The consequences of patients going without opioid dependence treatment are potentially horrific. And whilst it is an issue of the federal government's making and the Commonwealth's making, it's going to fall on the lap of the states. So the Guild is very actively engaging with and advocating at a state and territory level with departments of health and their governments um, on this issue, because you'll see some of your readers and listeners may have seen the Tasmanian government is committed to continued funding uh, for Tasmanian pharmacies to keep you know, pharmacies whole through this transition to make sure that they don't have pharmacies drop out of providing the service. In states like Victoria, where I'm from, uh, the Victorian government don't currently provide any funding for pharmacies to provide opioid dependence treatment. Uh, and, but now it's falling on their lap and they will need to step in to provide some assistance if the federal government or the Commonwealth don't change anything. If the Victorian government, as an example, um, doesn't step in, there is going to be pharmacies withdraw from the program. And this is just a terrible policy outcome. And essentially the first tranche of supposed reinvestment by the federal government with 60-day dispensing, and it's already turning to custard, and patients will lose out. They'll be the ultimate losers out of all this, which should be a policy, which should be so, you know, so greatly welcomed, such a great thing. But the implementation is terrible.
0: There've already been supply issues with methadone um, coming up to the coming up to the first of July. It was um, all over social media on the weekend. But I wanted to pick your brain a little bit as well about the rural pharmacy. So they're saying they're putting money back into rural pharmacies to make sure that they can remain more viable. So, but I've been told that it depends on the number of scripts that the rural pharmacies are doing, and it may only be a reinvestment of up to potentially 26,000, which does not come close to the 160,000 that they're losing. Do you have any thoughts about the rural pharmacy?
1: So as part of this announcement from, the federal government of the reinvestment. They said that uh, the regional pharmacy maintenance allowance would be doubled, uh, as an example, uh, as the, of the reinvestment. But now that they've released through pharmacy programs administrator, PPA, the matrix of payments for pharmacies uh, under the RPMA by the modified Monash model or triple M category and the tier and the number of prescriptions what pharmacies have quickly realised is that uh, for most of the categories, there is not a doubling of their actual payments. So um, th- that's just not been the case um, across a number of the the categories. Particularly, you know, from triple M, you know, four out to seven, there is not a doubling of the payments that they would receive compared to the previous financial year. So whilst It may be argued, and I'm not going to try and do the government's job for them, but maybe you could argue that the overall pool of funds might have doubled. Uh, The individual pharmacy payment in those uh, more remote categories, particularly from four and up through to seven, are not getting a doubling of the payment. And again, those pharmacies, and they've reported it to me and to others, uh, feel let down. Um, and they feel misled and you can't blame them because when you hear a doubling of a payment, you expect it to be twice what it was before. And what they're seeing from the information released is that it won't be. So how can, how can the community pharmacy uh, profession have confidence in the government with regards to reinvestment, if you even believe it is a true reinvestment, when the numbers don't lie?
0: Butler's been claiming that the longer script lengths will improve compliance. Um, I guess I'd ask about your thoughts on the statements that seems to be um, consistently shared that'll improve compliance
1: for patients. Well, oh, there's many factors that go into affecting a patient's compliance, and and for some patients, the price of a medication can be an influencer. Okay, and and that's important to acknowledge. But reducing the amount of time that patients need to see their pharmacist, um, that may not be good for compliance. If a patient has to pay for services that they previously didn't have to from their pharmacy, such as home deliveries, and they have to start paying for those services because the pharmacy is trying to recoup significant costs from the implementation of the 60-day dispensing policy, well, then that might not improve compliance if patients can't afford those services because we... We'll have this perverse outcome where patients who will reach the safety net even with 60 day dispensing, albeit later in the year, may end up paying more for the services that they receive from their pharmacies, whether it's home deliveries or dose administration aid packaging. And they are paying more for their services and cross subsidising healthier, wealthier Australians for their convenience. Um, In terms of seeing the GP less and convenience in that regard with 60 day dispensing because of an increased number of repeats. That's only true if the GP writes a longer prescription duration. So they write enough repeats for 12 months. And if they're given the option to do so, rather than being required to do so um, with 60 days. So for instance, if if a doctor writes a prescription for 60 days, for an eligible medicine but only writes one or two repeats so the patient is still needing to go back within six months how will that free up appointments and how will that really um, improve convenience for patients in regards to seeing a GP look it won't but unless you required GPs to write 12 months of repeats for a patient receiving 60 days it won't free up uh, appointments at all and if a patient For a patient to be eligible for 60-day dispensing, uh, it's expected and required that they are stable. So for a patient to be eligible for 60-day dispensing and prescribing that they're stable, then one could argue, well, if they're that stable, then they should be able to see their doctor less if they're seeing their pharmacy less as well. But medication adherence and compliance is is a complex area that has many inputs and factors and merely giving more of something to someone does not in itself improve compliance for patients.
0: Um, The discussions about the HCPA and bringing that forward have been mentioned a few times as well. Does that sound like the best way to move forward at this point?
1: There's no doubt that for 60-day dispensing to be implemented and without compromising the community pharmacy network's viability and ultimately jobs, trading hours and patient care and access ultimately, without compromising patient care and access ultimately, we need a new funding agreement. And that can be the eighth community pharmacy agreement brought forward. That can be in various ways ways that we can make that work, but ideally the Eighth Community Pharmacy Agreement to commence at the same time as 60-day dispensing. The Labor Party themselves, when they were in opposition back in 2019, and Bill Shorten was the leader, and Catherine King was the Shadow Health Minister, they wrote to the Guild prior to that election, actually uh, stating that 60-day dispensing that the coalition government at the time was contemplating shouldn't be introduced without proper consultation with the community pharmacy sector and profession and really should be part of a negotiation of a community pharmacy agreement. And we couldn't agree more. Yet here we are, the first May budget of this Albanese government. And it's been announced without consultation outside of a community pharmacy agreement negotiation and has essentially blown up the seventh community pharmacy agreement midterm. So there's still the opportunity for the Labor government to abide by their previous undertakings to the Guild and the community pharmacy profession, whether it was Mr Shorten and Ms King back in 2019 or Minister Butler last year when he was the Shadow Health Minister who wrote to the Guild prior to the May 2022 election and said that he looks forward to working with the Pharmacy Guild, that the Albanese government looked forward to working with uh, the Pharmacy Guild on making medicines cheaper without negatively impacting the viability of the community pharmacy sector well, they still have the opportunity to do that, but it has to come with a new funding agreement. And if it's implemented as announced without any other changes to what we're talking about today, there will be pharmacy closures, job losses, and patients losing out overall because they can try and shout the bar and want the bar to pay for it, but eventually, the, eventually there will be jobs lost, reductions in services, and certainly no happy hours.
0: I've seen some feedback from some healthcare professionals like the RACGP, AMA, Lung Foundation, Asthma Council, all in support of 60 day dispensing. Um, So I guess (laughs) my question is, have um, many stakeholders involved and many different groups that will be impacted as a result? Do you think that everybody because obviously we don't fully understand everything so there's not been a lot of information that has been released on everything consistently but i guess with the commentary from other healthcare professionals at where it stands now um i guess i would ask if there was any thoughts that you wanted to share with them as lots of people um continue to be on either side uh proncon and those groups will definitely be impacted by the changes for patients with 60-day dispensing
1: So as I said earlier, pharmacies and pharmacists across Australia want cheaper medicines for their patients. And we saw the benefits of lowering the general co-payment from $42.50 to $30 first of January. And there's more that can be done there uh, in lowering the the co-payments for all patients so that all patients benefit rather than only those patients that who happen to take a medicine eligible for 60-day dispensing. So it's been well publicised that the peak medical groups and uh, some consumer groups have been supportive of 60 day dispensing. What I would say to the medical colleagues who are being vocally supportive of this is, how would they feel about a cost of living measure for their profession that hadn't been consulted on and didn't come with a new funding agreement? So for example, wouldn't it be great if you could go to your GP and be assured that you were not gonna be charged a gap fee? There was universal bulk billing across Australia in all instances, and you could be bulk billed and no gap fee ever. But the GPs did not have a new funding agreement to go with that. How do you think they would feel? I'm pretty sure that they would be very upset and frustrated if such a measure came into being without consultation, without discussion, and without a new funding agreement. I'm I'm very confident of that. And here we are with 60-day dispensing, a cost-of-living measure that's been put forward by the government that they want community pharmacies to pay for without consultation. So, again, we want cheaper medicines for all Australians, but it just doesn't add up if you're asking for the network itself to pay for it without a new funding agreement. And that's exactly what the Ergas Report and Wood and Griffith University have highlighted as... The wake-up call the government needs to highlight the potentially catastrophic impacts for some communities if you go ahead with this policy without consultation and further review uh, and what it will mean as a net loss to the community. Um, In terms of consumer groups who have supported it, sure, there have been some that have supported it, but there are a number of other groups who have been concerned about the uh, implications of 60 day dispensing as it stands, such as the Australian Patients Association, such as Pain Australia, such as Better Access Australia. There are other groups who can understand the nuances of what the potential impacts are beyond the headline. They've scratched the surface and looked beyond the headline, looked beyond the government media release and understood that this might not be such a great thing as it stands.
0: And I guess uh, the concern is the lack of consultation in the beginning was obviously um, incredibly disappointing, but now there still continues to be a lack of transparency, like with announcements made on Friday that no one knew about until the announcements were made, and a lot of confusion even about changes to ODT and changes happening even on the 1st of July, let alone the 1st of September. So I guess I would ask you about your thoughts on that and any advice to pharmacists.
1: Um, it's a, it's a good question. I think advice for pharmacists going into the 1st of July, it's a really difficult situation because pharmacies and pharmacists just want to do the best for their patients. They don't care about the politics. They just want solutions. And I know the guild, I know the pharmaceutical society, um, the peak bodies in pharmacy doing their best to support pharmacies and, 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 Um, pharmacists in terms of conveying the information of what this new national program means and to help make the transition as smooth as as it can be. But there is no doubt going to be issues with it. Um, My advice is uh, to first and foremost, look after yourself and each other and reach out to the pharmacist support service if you need to, the 1300 number, because if if you can't look after yourself, it's very difficult to look after others. And, um, it's it's a really challenging time, particularly with National Opioid Dependence Treatment Program in transitioning to that, and you know making sure that patients don't go without. But there is it's so understandable those pharmacies who have already made the decision to withdraw the program because uh, they just they, they they've just made a decision that they can't go on. They're running on empty. That they've um, they're going to have to. Uh, try and deal with the consequences of 60-day dispensing for their community pharmacy practice as a whole. And um, pharmacies can't be and should not be conscripted to do things that aren't viable. And the, our, you know, as a cornerstone in the primary health system, our goodwill has taken us, you know, so far and and provided so many benefits for patients. But we can't be expected to do so if it's just simply not viable. And it shouldn't come to this for the federal government and Commonwealth Department of Health to sit up and take notice and listen. But sadly, this is what it may take uh, for them to actually listen when we say that you can't rush things and you can't do things without consultation because of the potential um, negative uh, impacts that will be for patients. So... My advice is look after yourself and each other as much as you can. Um, Reach out to your membership organisations for the queries that you have, um, the Department of Health in your jurisdictions um, as well, and your local pharmacotherapy networks, and and each other for support and advice. One way or another, we will get through this. Um, It just shouldn't, and I think I said this in the last time we spoke, it shouldn't take this many mops and this bigger bucket to clean up the mess, largely of the making of the federal government and Commonwealth Department of Health, but we still have the opportunity to make good from this. But you gotta listen to the stakeholders who get the medicine in the hands or um, to the patient for their care. And if you can't do that and you won't do that, you will not get the benefits um, or what you want for patient care to come about.
0: From your understanding as well, as mine, pharmacies have already started making changes. They've already started changing their opening hours. Some have already stopped supplying ODT. Some have already started um, making redundancies. Have you started to see this in throughout your experiences with pharmacists as well?
1: Yes. Uh, yes, I have. I have seen it. And it's no surprise because... They're having to take a a longer term view of keeping their pharmacy practice together to hold on, to keep their doors open, to try and make sure that they can continue to be there for their patients. I've seen on social media uh, that pharmacies have had to communicate the regrettable decisions that they feel like they've been forced to make in terms of reducing trading hours and changing what services they can provide. And I've seen mps in that electorate be tagged in that post just to inform them to say look this is the consequence look at this outcome and i've seen that those those people who have just merely tagged um that federal mp to make them aware of it be blocked from their facebook profile and that's happened to me personally where i've just merely for for awareness just tagged a the the local MP to make them aware of what's happening in the electorate. And then I've been subsequently blocked from their Facebook profile. So I think, you know, one thing I'll have to say here is some federal MPs may not like to hear opposition to their 60 day. You might not like to hear it. You might not want to hear it, but you need to hear it. Because at the end of the day, your, your community, your constituents are the ones that, elect you to go to Canberra. It's not the party machine. It's not something else. It's the local people. So if they're trying to communicate to you an issue or an outcome of your government's measures, it's your responsibility to take notice and listen.
0: Are there any other thoughts or information that you wanted to share with the audience?
1: I think what I would say is thank you to community pharmacies across Australia for your wonderful advocacy up until now and will continue, I'm, I'm sure no doubt, with regards to 60 days. People listening to this may have you know be thinking, it doesn't sound like good news, it just sounds like a mess. Well, it is a, it is a mess at the moment with regards to national opioid dependence treatment, but we're committed to continuing to fight the good fight and advocate so that patients don't miss out. So my concluding message is to say thank you is to say keep fighting is to say that with our pivoting of our message for save your local pharmacy that campaign it is getting traction it is getting cut through with patients they understand the shortcomings of this policy as it stands they understand that it's not fair that the pharmacies fund cheaper medicines because as a community as Australians we we want a fair go and they understand it's not fair that the pharmacies are the ones that are funding this so Keep fighting. It is making a difference, and it might not feel like that um, you know, at the moment with regards to the way the government's approaching 60 days and heading towards September 1. But I can assure you they are feeling pressure. I can assure you it is making a difference, your advocacy, but you need to keep it up, and you need to keep fighting, and I thank you for it. And as Winston Churchill, the wartime Prime Minister of Great Britain, once said... If you're going through hell, keep going. So, community pharmacy, keep going. Keep fighting. We'll get there. Thank
0: you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJPPodcast and send us a message.